quite a few years ago, quite a few years ago really, uh, I learnt the hard way uh, a very valuable parenting lesson. Uh, the kids were only very small at the time and it was back when they were doing extensions on the manse where we lived and one of the things they were doing was removing a wall from between the lounge room and what was then our bedroom. So as to create this sort of bigger room, they were removing an entire wall. So I thought it was a good opportunity for our kids to get to do something they don't normally get to do and the day before the wall was to be ripped out, we got out all the textures and all the crayons and all the watercolour paints and we let the kids draw over the wall. It was going to be torn down anyway, it didn't really matter. Kids had a great time uh, being able to draw these massive pictures on this pristine, clean wall, leaving messages to all the workmen all over it. Heaps of fun. So far, so good. <laughs> Trouble is, shortly after this, we were down in Sydney staying in a very, very, very lovely home with some friends. And you can sort of tell what's coming, can't you? Uh, one afternoon, Sue and I walked into their lounge room and the kids had drawn all over one of their walls. Sue and I almost died. The kids almost died. They, <laughs> they'd never done this before. They'd never, ever come close to doing this when we'd been at other places. But see, now they'd had a taste of the good life. Now they'd had a bit of a taste of how nice it was to draw on walls. And it taught me a very valuable parenting lesson. The lesson to just think ahead and realise that just because something might be okay to do in one situation, sometimes you're still better off not doing it because of what it might result down the track. Sometimes just a little bit of extra caution, even in things you're allowed to do, just a little bit of extra caution can be a very wise thing. Now what I discovered as a parent is pretty much what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians in this morning's reading. I think you can see it in verse 23, which is probably a pretty good summary of the entire chapter. Verse 23, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Now there's the advice I wish I'd read before I let the kids draw on the wall, that even if something is technically allowed it still may not turn out to be the most beneficial thing to do in the long run. Now, Paul is not saying this here as parenting advice. He is, of course, saying this because it's a continuation of last week's discussion about how we ought to be living out our Christian liberty. Last Sunday, you might remember, the, we discovered that there was a bit of an issue happening in the Corinthian church about food sacrificed to idols. Some people thought it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. Other people didn't like eating that sort of food. Paul's response was that technically, of course you can. And idols are nothing. And so in one sense, food sacrificed to an idol is food sacrificed to a nothing. And of course, you're at liberty to eat it. However, remember, he was also at great pains to point out to the Corinthians that their liberty needed to be shaped by love. And that even if they felt that they could eat the food sacrificed to idols, if it might cause another weaker brother or sister to stumble in their faith, then out of love they ought to curb their liberty. Now friends, this whole topic of self-limiting our Christian liberty, that is still very much the topic of this passage. That's what's behind Paul saying in verse 23, everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. Notice in that verse that the everything impermissible is in, inver is in quotation marks. 
We've noticed this a few times in the letter. It's reflecting that Paul is probably quoting something that the Corinthians themselves were saying. Everything's permissible, they were saying. Which, in a sense, they're right. Uh, We're not saved by having to do certain things. We are saved by what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection on our behalf. Because of that, you and I enjoy a wonderful liberty of lifestyle. Paul, however, wants the Corinthians to see that although they may have great freedom in Christ, that freedom can be misused. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, if we use our liberty foolishly, we can do a lot of damage down the track. We started seeing last week the sort of damage that we can do to brothers and sisters with weaker faith and sense of liberty than we do. The way that this morning's chapter builds on what we learnt last week, the way this chapter works is that in the verses leading up to verse 23, in the first bit of the chapter, that section is all about how misusing our liberty can in fact cause our own self to stumble. And then in the verses after verse 23, in the second the, the last bit of the chapter, it's all, it goes back and it repeats the same lesson from last week that misusing our Christian liberty can cause others to stumble because Paul is drawing his arguments together. Next week he's going to change topic altogether. Uh, next chapter, sorry. That's the basic movement of this chapter though. Stumbling ourselves in the first half, causing others to stumble in the second half. Let me show you what I mean by doing them in reverse order. Okay, let me go back. Let me do the last bit of the chapter first because it's pretty much what we saw last week. And I I might be brief with this. Verse 24. Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put in front of you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, well, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. This is pretty much what we saw last week, how that even if you know it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols, which it is, even if you can, sometimes for the sake of a brother or sister who has weaker sense of liberty than you, sometimes the loving thing is to just not eat it for their sake. As he goes on to say in verse 32, don't cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good but the good of many so that they may be saved. Now, friends, this is very important stuff. We need to exercise our liberty in love so that we don't cause others to stumble. We don't want to be a stumbling block to non-Christians getting to hear about Jesus. We don't want to be a stumbling block to other brothers and sisters whose sense of liberty may not be as strong as ours. So we need to exercise our liberty in love. That's what we heard about last week. And in many ways, this last bit of the chapter, it's Paul drawing his arguments together. Because we did spend last week on it, I'd actually like to spend the rest of our time and most of our time on the first bit of the chapter, a section where Paul explains that if we use our Christian liberty foolishly, foolishly, we may not just be a stumbling block to others, we may actually become the one doing the stumbling. So come to me back to the beginning of the chapter where he starts off by reminding them of some things that happened to Israel. Verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. 
They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, in those verses, they are a reminder of Israel's experience in the Old Testament after they had been saved from slavery in Egypt at the Exodus. You might remember God saved them out of slavery in a massive display of miracles. Do you remember how, under Moses' leadership, uh, the Red Sea was parted and Israel got to walk through the Red Sea on dry land and then they followed the cloud of God's glory through the wilderness to the Promised Land. And along the way through the wilderness, God fed them with manna, which miraculously appeared each morning, and he, and he gave them water to drink, which miraculously came out of rocks uh, every now and then. Now, they're the events that Paul is reminding them of here, but he's choosing his words very carefully. Did you notice that? The wording is actually pretty weird. And so instead of quite simply saying that they followed Moses' leadership, uh, he talks about them being baptised into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And instead of simply saying that they ate manna which God supplied to them and they drank water which God supplied them, Paul talks about them eating spiritual food and drinking spiritual drink. He's talking like this because he wants to draw a parallel between Israel at the time of the Exodus and the Corinthian church in the sense that just like Israel back then, the Corinthian church has been saved from slavery, not slavery from Egypt, but slavery from sin. Just, and also, just like Israel in the Old Testament, they also have been baptised. Not baptised into Moses by going through the Red Sea. They've been baptised into the name of Jesus Christ. They also have had spiritual food and drink, not like manna or water out of rocks, but in the sense that they get to enjoy the Lord's Supper together, which you'll go on and talk about in a few moments. He's deliberately setting up this parallel between Israel and the Corinthians because he wants them to realise that they are in danger of falling into exactly the same problems that Israel fell into in the Old Testament and for which God was not pleased with them. Look at verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolatrous as some of them were. Verse 8. We shouldn't commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Verse 9. You shouldn't test the Lord as some of them did. Verse 10, you shouldn't grumble as some of them did. Now he's really having a go at the Corinthians here because the sort of things that are listed here are exactly the sort of things that he's already criticised them over earlier in the letter. In chapter 5 of the letter, he's criticised them for their sexual immorality. And now he's saying here in this chapter, verse 8, don't commit sexual immorality the way Israel did. In chapters three, 1, 2 and 3 earlier on in the letter, he's criticised them for being argumentative and divisive. And now in verse 10 in this chapter, he's saying, don't you grumble as Israel did. He's wanting the Corinthians to see that they're falling into some of the exact same problems that Israel fell into and therefore they are in danger of also falling under God's punishment as Israel did. Verse 11, these things happened to them, Israel, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come Ages has come, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. See what he's getting at? Heed the example of Israel. 
They were baptised. They had spiritual food. It didn't save them when they drifted off into idolatry. And just because you might be baptised and just because you might be enjoying spiritual food of the Lord, I don't think it's going to save you if you drift off into idolatry. And where Paul is heading with this is that some of them are in danger of drifting into idolatry because of the way they are participating in pagan feasts. See, practice was back then that uh, at a pagan sacrifice, a, a sacrifice to a, to a pagan god, they were often associated with parties. A banquet was thrown, the whole purpose of which was to celebrate the pagan god being sacrificed. And it sounds like some of the Christians in the church were actually going to those parties. Maybe they figured, well, you know, there's no other God except God, uh, the one true God. And as Paul said last week, an idol is a nothing. They don't exist. So in one sense, a party thrown to an idol is a party thrown for a non-event. So what's the harm in going? Paul's reaction, though, is that it's actually pushing things too far. Verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? In that verse, he's reminding them that when they have the Lord's Supper together, when they break bread and when they uh, have wine to celebrate Jesus spilling his blood, when they do that, they're declaring a union between them and Jesus. The sharing of food, the sharing of bread and wine, it's a reflection of their fellowship with Jesus. It's, it's a statement, it's a meal that says that celebrates who they are in Christ. And for them to then turn around and share a meal that's intended to declare a union with a pagan god, uh, that's, that's too inconsistent. He points out in verses 19 and 20 that even though other gods don't technically exist, the forces of evil still use other gods to draw people away from the true god. And so he says in verse 21, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You can't have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Look, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. You hearing the logic? A person who is in union with Christ. That's, they can't then possibly turn around and have a meal that celebrates a union with a demon. It's inconsistent with just who we are. And notice that. It's actually a very similar logic to what we noticed a couple of weeks back in chapter 6 and sexual immorality. Uh, the wording is very similar. Back in chapter 6, he said, flee sexual immorality, uses exactly the same phrase, flee idolatry. And his reasoning for doing it is, is much the same. It's not you must do it. Uh, it's not so much that you have to do it. It's rather, this is what you ought to be doing because of who you are. Flee idolatry because you're united with Christ. Flee idolatry because that's simply not what you're into anymore. And so just like back in chapter 6, he's not laying down rules and regulations here. He's not imposing a morality on them. He's just wanting them to, to he wants to help them live out the relationship that they have with Jesus. Because remember the context of all of this. He's talking about pagan feasts here and the danger of it within a broader context of food sacrifice to idols and in particular living out Christian liberty in relation to food sacrifice to idols. And so last week and again at the end of this week at, chapter, at the end of chapter 10, it's all about careful how you live your Christian liberty so that you don't cause others to stumble. 
And dropped in right in the middle here, he is also saying that they need to be careful not just to cause other people to stumble, they need to be careful not to push their liberty so far that they may stumble themselves. Or to put it another way, whereas last week it was all about shaping our liberty with love, this week it's all about shaping our liberty with wisdom. It's about opening our eyes to those things in our life which may actually be quite permissible because of our great liberty in Jesus. But it's wisely opening our eyes to the danger of pushing our liberty so far that it may actually cause us to drift and fall away from Jesus altogether. Because that is the last thing we want to happen as followers of Jesus. Back in 1911, there was a guy, a stuntman called Bobby Leach, who became the first man to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel and survive. Uh, He broke his jaw, both kneecaps, spent six months in hospital, but he survived. After he got out of hospital, he toured the world, uh, talking about his experience, showing off the barrel he went over the falls in. And, uh, however, while he was walking down a street on tour in New Zealand, he slipped on an orange peel, fell over the street gutter, fractured his leg, went to hospital and later died of complications from the fall, which is pretty ironic if you think about it. He actually received worse injury walking down a street in New Zealand than going over Niagara Falls because he was really careful and prepared for the one but maybe not the other. In fact, when he assumed to be most safe turned out to be when he was actually most vulnerable. Paul is wanting to alert the Corinthians to a similar danger. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And so, sure, as Christians, we have great liberty of lifestyle, but don't become so casual and so blasé about your lifestyle that that we carelessly let our guard down and drift away and possibly fall away from Jesus. Because just about every year, even people across DPC do that. And so we have great liberty to enjoy a a nice house and garden. But we have to be very careful that we don't push that liberty so far that it leads us into materialism and greed, which is idolatry. And we have liberty to drink alcohol, but we need to be careful that we don't push that liberty so far that it leads to drunkenness. And we have liberty to enjoy our hobbies and our sports, but we need to be careful that we don't push that liberty so far that it leads us into selfishness and neglect of others. And we have liberty to enjoy our jobs and our careers, but we need to be careful that we don't push that liberty so far that it leads us away from seeking first the kingdom of God. And we have liberty to enjoy entertainment and movies and television and music, but we need to be careful that we don't push that liberty so far that it leads us into immorality because of constantly filling our minds with unhelpful images. Friends, as Christians, we have great liberty and freedom in our lifestyle. We are not saved by what we do, but what Christ has done for us. We are saved by grace. Breathe in the freedom that is ours. Please be very careful with it. Treat your freedom with love and wisdom. Don't be a stumbling block to each other. And please, don't stumble yourself. I'll pray.
Father God, thank you for this loving warning in the letter to the Corinthians. Father, we do want to thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ. But Father, please give us the wisdom, the insight, the love and the care to use our liberty well. Father, help us to excel at being the people that you you have called us to be. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake we ask this. Amen.